The purpose of Caring Connections is to educate listeners to help improve the quality of life for families, for professional caregivers, as well as those people affected with Alzheimer's disease. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno is supported by HomeWatch Caregivers. You can hear this and any other program of Caring Connections on WCHL's website, chapelboro.com. Be sure to email questions to caring at 1360wchl.com. Caring Connections is a presentation of 97.9 FM, WCHL, Chapel Hill Carborough's News, Talk, and Tar Heel Station. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Caring Connections. Joining me today is Sarah Woodruff. She is a nurse practitioner and lead provider at the Chapel Hill Community Health Center. And we are going to be talking about the brand new health center and how to maintain wellness. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much, Nicole. It's a pleasure to have you here today. And I tell you, she is a dedicated person. Her her poor son has strep throat and he's here he's with so, us today. And is. so she's being a really good mom and she's being a really good person to talk about maintaining wellness with us. So we really appreciate the extra effort that you have being here today with us. So I am so excited. I recently learned that the Chapel Hill has a brand new community center in our midst. Talk to us a little bit about that community center, where it is, how people can access it, and what folks can actually gain from attending? Um, so we opened at the beginning of January. Mm-hmm. It's at 1828 Martin Luther King Boulevard, mm-hmm. Suite 14B. Mm-hmm. It's in the Chapel Hill North Shopping Plaza. If you're familiar with that, there's a big Harris Teeter there. It's in between Molly Maids and Rasa uh-huh. Restaurant. Our phone number is 919-951-7600. And we are, of course, accepting new patients. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I'd like to highlight about our health centers, and this is true for all of Piedmont Health mm-hmm. Services, we accept anyone regardless of their insurance status. So whether they have insurance or not, you are welcome to come and be seen at our center. We have a sliding scale for patients without insurance. Wow. To help uh, mitigate healthcare costs. So are you, so I guess you're saying this, but do you accept new Medicare patients? Absolutely, yeah. We welcome new Medicare patients, new Medicaid patients. Mm -hmm. um, And like I said, even patients that don't have insurance. Um, If you are someone who's looking for a new healthcare provider and you do have insurance, one of the ways you can help patients without insurance is to come to one of our health centers. Wow. Um, So that's definitely something to think about as well. Um, We also are a family practice. So we see from birth all the way through the lifespan, including prenatal care. Oh, wow. Um, Most of our providers speak Spanish as well. um, And we have access to other languages through a language line. So really, anyone is welcome. We take everybody. So what can people expect at a community health center? Is it mainly um, for, you know, physical needs, or do you have a whole host of different types of services you provide? So um, there's definitely the medical side Mm -hmm. of it. And so you can think of anything preventative, physicals, sports Mm -hmm. physicals for kids, uh, annual wellness visits for Medicare patients, Mm -hmm. welcome to Medicare visits. um, If you're a new newly gotten enrolled in Medicare. A lot of our clinics have uh, dental services as well on a sliding scale. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this one? This one does not. Okay. Um, but we have one in Carborough very close by that mm-hmm. does provide dental services. Great. Um, and then most of our centers also have a pharmacy on site, and we get special pricing from, through the federal grant oh, great. in order to be able to provide discounted medications. Even if you do have insurance, we're sometimes still offer. Uh, a discounted medication. Um, Our pharmacists are really great as well in patient assistance programs Mm -hmm. for the pharmaceutical companies, getting patients 
what they need. Throughout our centers, we also have some nutrition services as well as WIC, which is for women's and infants and children. Of course, that's for mm-hmm. younger people and as well as care management. And care management is a unique piece, I think, that mm-hmm. some of the bigger healthcare organizations in our area are starting to recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to give someone help with navigating things like Medicare, navigating mm-hmm. the health system, um, getting the resources they need in the community, food banks, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. That's amazing. So do you also serve, I'm just out of curiosity sake, because I'm not sure of the answer to this question, do you serve um, folks like in an urgent care capacity? Like if you already have a primary doctor, but can you just drop in for an appointment or is this an app you have to make an appointment to be seen scenario? For the most part, you have to make an appointment to be seen. Mm-hmm. Certainly if we have availability mm-hmm. and we're, we have, um, we can squeeze someone in, we would do that, mm-hmm. um, especially at this new site because we want to meet people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, test drive you a little bit. See yes. what they think? That's Absolutely. Great. That's great. So I guess if you were to name a differentiator, what you think makes you different than your average you know, doctor's office out there, aside from your care management, what else would you say is the differentiator for your clinic? I think the reality of, of being able to provide comprehensive health care mm-hmm. um, in one, one spot, a lot of primary care offices, they really just have the medical piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to provide that comprehensive health care um, from a caring staff, from someone who's really going to help you figure out the different barriers to care that many patients face. Sometimes it's not just financial. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a patient who doesn't like to admit it, but she can't swallow pills well. Right. And so, you know, just things like that, mm-hmm. I think, is is what makes us unique. And I think it's also unique, you know, you being the nurse practitioner and lead provider, nurse practitioners have a, sort of a different scope and a different training. What exactly is a nurse practitioner and what makes a nurse practitioner different than a, than a physician? Um, sure. So uh, I've been a nurse practitioner since 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, nurse practitioners go through a four-year nursing degree where, as you know, many people know what nurses can do. Mm-hmm. They can um, assess your body. They mm-hmm. can kind of know what's wrong with you, so on and so forth. Certainly, you have a lot of the teaching piece. Um, they know how to assess the whole person, mm-hmm. all aspects of life, including your environment, such as the home. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever had a home health nurse come out, she may be looking at slippery rugs that might cause a fall mm-hmm. or whether or not you should have a, a grab bar in the bathroom. Right. So nurses are trained holistically in that way. Mm-hmm. A nurse practitioner goes on to get a master's or a doctorate degree um, in order to learn about disease management and treatment modalities. And so nurse practitioners can order medications, uh, order tests, like a CT scan Mm -hmm. or an X-ray if needed, make the diagnosis. Um, And physicians are a little bit different in that they go to a four-year medical degree and Mm -hmm. then do a residency Mm -hmm. um, after that. At the end of the day, nurse practitioners and physicians really function very similarly in Mm -hmm. an office. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I'm I'm excited for this new role and that's pretty pretty awesome. I yeah. think congratulations Thank for you. you. So we're going to be touching on today some areas that folks really should know about, regardless of age. But since this show is really focused on caregivers and and caring for their their loved ones, let's talk a little bit about caregiving and really the impact of caregiving on the caregiver. When we think about wellness, you know, we often think about that person that's receiving care by someone else, but a lot of people don't think about the actual physical physical impact, emotional, mental, psychological impact of caregiving on the individual providing care. You know, just last week I was um, doing um, a visit with a family and they, um, you know, I had, the family wasn't all on the same page, so I had the actual caregiver go through a day in her life. Just that everybody could hear from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed, she probably has five minutes to herself. So when we get back from the break, Sarah, I'd like you to talk a little bit about what a caregiver can do to maintain wellness from your perspective, I guess from a nurse practitioner's viewpoint. We'll be right 
right back. Welcome back. Joining me today is Sarah Woodruff. She is a nurse practitioner and lead provider at the Chapel Hill Community Health Center located right here in Chapel Hill. And we are talking about maintaining wellness. And right before the break, I set us up for talking a little bit about how do you help a caregiver maintain their physical, emotional, mental well-being during that caregiving journey. And I guess I'm looking for maybe some anecdotal stories of things that you've seen and some suggestions that you give caregivers so that they don't hit that brick wall and crash. Yeah. So I think caregiving is something that, you know, most people do because it's something they want to do. Mm-hmm. They they want to take care of their loved one. Um, the hard part is, I think, is when that caregiver starts to feel burned out, mm-hmm. starts to feel unable mm-hmm. to do what they need to do. Um, so there's the whole stuff of respite care that that I'm not really going to go into mm-hmm, mm-hmm. per se, but there are agencies that provide respite care and mm-hmm. home health and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of maintaining your wellness and maintaining your trying to avoid burnout or fatigue and caregiving, I think of taking care of yourself with a lot of basic things, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get good sleep, mm-hmm. um, trying to maintain an exercise routine, um, even if that means exercising with your, the person that you're caregiving for. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're able to, you know, taking them out for walks, mm-hmm. um, pushing their wheelchair, going to the mall to do walks when mm-hmm. – um, the weather gets bad. Um, the other part of that is maintaining good nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and this seems very basic, but mm-hmm. there's just the reality that there's a lot of food out there that's very convenient, but mm-hmm. is not very good for you. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think getting back to basics of just remembering good nutrition, mm-hmm. getting exercise, mm-hmm. um, all of that is is good. So do you often have folks, I, I know, you know, some of the families that I work with at Transitions Guiding Lights, you know, they, they come in and they're finally, it's like they, they've been running, 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 feeling exhausted, feeling terrible, feeling sick. They finally go to the doctor and it takes the doctor or the nurse practitioner to say, you need to take care of yourself or you're going to end up in the hospital and dying before your loved one. And if, sometimes it just takes that, that person just get in their face and say, you're a mess. You're falling apart at the seams. And, mm-hmm. and you know, how, how do you have that conversation with somebody? Um, so sometimes it can be difficult. Um, it depends on how much the person feels open to hear that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a reality that sometimes there is a, a feeling of saying, I just, I can't even do that because I can't imagine mm-hmm. taking time for myself. But there's a reality that you have to Take care of yourself first. Mm-hmm. Or they um, say take your oxygen first, just like on the airplane. That's right. Before that's you a provide good way to, to put someone it. else. Exactly. Um, and so thinking a little bit about um, encouraging people to create space for themselves, mm-hmm. um, to not feel guilty over, um, you know, I'm, this is not exactly caregiving, in, in, mm-hmm. but as a mom, you know, sometimes I feel mm-hmm. guilty about the, the shortcuts right. that I might take right. for a little break or well, something. you probably even feel guilty about bringing your son when he's sick, right? right? I mean, we all do <laughs> stuff like that every day. That's right. Yeah. Um, but in, in that kind of terms where you just say, I'm going to go and take 15 minutes because I need to go lay down for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. put my feet up. Those Even those kind of short-term mm-hmm. breaks um, make a big deal in your mental health. Yeah. Making sure that you're well-connected socially. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I is hard to do. It's hard to you do. You get isolated when you're caregiving. Yeah. And so... Um, a lot of times I tell people, try not to get too f- caught up in the fact that, like, maybe someone hasn't reached out to you and you thought, well, they should have reached out to me first. Mm-hmm. They know I'm suffering. Reach out, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I think that it's important uh, in our social media culture mm-hmm. that you can sort of feel like, well, I'm connected to people because I'm mm-hmm. watching them on Twitter, Facebook, sure, sure. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's a big difference to actually make a phone call, um, to ask someone to come over, to make you a meal, to mm-hmm. do something that you know, might make you a little bit more vulnerable, but that vulnerability and that emotional connectedness 
is is what we need mm-hmm. as humans. That's right. And, you know, I think uh, just to transition to another topic a little bit, I think it's very common for caregivers to go through periods of depression as it is for those they are caring for. So let's little let's talk a little bit about, um, and I know it's in the media a lot these days, you see these commercials with little clouds following somebody and the dog's sad and the kids are sad and the husband's sad and the wife's sad. But how does depression actually affect a person's life and just really the, everything around their lives? So depression is... Um, is, is very difficult for people mm-hmm. who have it and for treatment. Um, you know, you want – there's different modalities to treat depression. There's, of course, medications. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. what you see the commercials for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's also talk therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, in the wintertime, so like what we've been dealing with lately, you know, having mm-hmm. bad weather or shortened days, um, that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference when it's cold. And if you have some joint pain because it's cold, you don't want to get up and get out and mm-hmm. do things. Right. Um, so making sure that you do do a little bit to get outside, to, to reach out, mm-hmm. um, call friends, write a letter. Another thing to do is to consider even volunteering time, mm-hmm. um, whether or not you do that through a, a service that you're already involved in, mm-hmm. um, maybe your local community center or church, being able to give back to other people in your community, mm-hmm. um, I do think helps a lot um, to give yourself meaning and worth, and it also helps the whole emotional connectedness part. Right. Um, so even if it means you're getting respite in order to do something good for someone else, you're really doing it well, good for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so depression also can affect other parts of your health, like your heart health. Um, so I have a, a quote that I just like sure. to share. Yeah. Um, so Dr. Roy Ziegerstein, who's a professor of medicine and the executive vice chair at the Department of Medicine at Johns Hopkins Medical Center, He said, a percentage of people with no history of depression become depressed after a heart attack or after developing heart failure. And people with depression but no previously detected heart disease seem to develop heart disease at a higher rate than the general population. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when I think about this on a clinical side, it's really, really, really important for us to treat depression and not Mm -hmm. to just try to sweep it under the rug Mm -hmm. and pretend everything's fine. It's Mm -hmm. important to bring it up to your healthcare provider. And I think, you know, for younger generations, there's a lot less of a stigma, but for older generations, it's hard. It's still, you know, you don't want to be known as somebody on a medicine for depression or anxieties. It means that you were a weak person and Mm -hmm. you just weren't strong enough to handle your issues or your baby or you're just complaining. And so, you know, sometimes when I'm facilitating support groups and we're talking about, you know, when we have a spousal caregiving situation, for example, and the spouse has to go on an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medicine, we talk about the fact that, you know, this is doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. This is a result of what you're going through. And maybe it's more situational. It's not that you know, you're failing as a human being. It's mm-hmm. just consider everything that's going around with you in your day. And it's just sometimes we all need a little something to help us get through it. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's just hard, especially for the older generation still to to, to hold on to, for mm-hmm. sure. And it's one of the things that we absolutely address in our clinics is we give um, every patient at least once a year a depression screening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and us, but we have a special one as well for older adults, mm-hmm. um, as well as um, just any, any of our patients sure. get a depression screening at least once a year because we think it's that important. Definitely, definitely. So we are going to take a quick break. Joining me today is Sarah Woodruff, and she is a nurse practitioner and the lead provider at the Chapel Hill Community Health Center. And we are talking about how to maintain wellness. We will be right back. Welcome back. Joining me today is Sarah Woodruff, and she is the nurse practitioner and lead provider at the Chapel Hill Community Health Center. And we are talking about maintaining wellness. And you know, Sarah, one of the biggest ways we can maintain wellness is by preventing a fall. Absolutely. At least that's my opinion. Absolutely. (laughs) 
So let's talk about falls. I know it's a real hot topic in geriatric medicine these days. Let's talk about how do we how do we make it so that we don't fall to begin with? Yeah. So sometimes I like to call it maintenance of mobility mm-hmm. um, because all of us start with mobility. Mm-hmm. Um, and the issue is, is that a lot of times that mobility declines because either an acute illness, mm-hmm. you know, hospitalization is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so making sure you get the rehab after an acute event, mm-hmm. heart attack, um, sure. you know, any of those kinds of things and, and going to rehab, getting physical therapy so that you can move. Mm-hmm. Um, the other part is making sure that if you were to have a fall, make sure that your bones are healthy enough to sustain that. I was so going to say wrap yourself in bubble wrap. Yep, wrap yourself in bubble wrap. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so getting um, plenty of calcium, mm-hmm. uh, plenty of vitamin D. Mm-hmm. I actually um, have a, a, a story from a, a colleague where she had a patient who – I don't remember if it was a religious objection, but basically just did not want to take supplements, uh-huh. just refused to take supplements uh-huh. and really wasn't getting enough in her diet and decided that she would eat sardines, bone and all oh, from the wow. can. Whew. But it bumped up her oh, um, I bet. calcium quite a bit, yeah, you know, so there's lots of ways to get calcium in your diet. Um, and one of the things I recommend is getting, you know, regular DEXA scans to evaluate mm-hmm. for osteoporosis or osteopenia. So what's a DEXA scan? A DEXA scan is um, a scan where you go to a radiology department mm-hmm. um, and they do scans of your bones, generally your hip, your lower back, um, and sometimes your smaller joints like ankles, and determine how strong your bones are um, by how thick the cortical surface is of the bone. Mm. Um, and depending on how thick that cortical surface, surface is – they then can determine the likelihood of a fracture if you were to fall. Mm. And so um, basically you want a negative two or up. Okay. So I know that's kind of technical, but that's okay. But um, I do recommend doing those. Uh, Medicare pays for those um, every two years. Okay. Um, You don't usually need them every two years, but it's nice to know that the option's there. So, But if I get a bad score, can I do anything about it or do I start wearing bubble wrap? Uh, no, so you can talk to your provider uh, about uh, there's medications to take. Sometimes okay. all it is is, is calcium and vitamin okay. D. So but you, there's can, certainly you can improve it. It's not like a permanent yes, thing. You can actually. absolutely improve okay. it. So well, that's, that's things like know. Boniva or uh-huh. sure. um, some other know, medicines. Some of those yeah. Things, yeah. Okay. Um, and I also recommend exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the me- the hip. Uh, a lot of the things that mm-hmm. I think about are your stabilizing muscles. So mm-hmm. in particular, your hip flexors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would like to share just as a really simple exercise that anyone can do. And I recommend doing it even if you're not right now thinking that you're at risk for falls, but holding onto some stable surface, the back of a chair, a countertop, something like that, a wall, and simply lifting your leg out in all directions, you know, a couple of to the front, a couple to the side in Mm -hmm. particular, and then towards the back. Those will target those small muscles, Mm -hmm. not not your big quads that, you know, you can feel in your legs, but the small muscles that are inside, internal in your hips that help with balance. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's not usually that you're not strong enough to Mm -hmm. prevent a, a fall. It's that your balance, your the balancing muscles that would help you if you started to lean one way aren't strong enough to help you lean back in the other direction. Interesting. Hmm. Well, gosh, this has been really interesting, Sarah. And again, if folks want to get a hold of you or want to go to the Chapel Hill Community Center, what's the quickest, fastest way they can go ahead and do that? So to call us at 919-951-7600. Well, I think you've given us some great tips today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. And as always, you may email your caring questions to caring at 1360wchl.com. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. The purpose of Caring Connections is to educate listeners to help improve the quality of life for families, for professional caregivers, as well as those people affected with Alzheimer's disease. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno is supported by HomeWatch Caregivers. 
You can hear this and any other program of Caring Connections on WCHL's website, chapelboro.com. Be sure to email questions to caring at 1360wchl.com. Caring Connections is a presentation of 97.9 FM, WCHL, Chapel Hill Carborough's News, Talk, and Tar Heel Station.